sometime, and I haven't actually figured out how this will work yet, but I know there's, I want to get some time that we as a church family can come together uh, and almost have, and, and as someone who has major control issues, I fully acknowledge that this makes me panic a little inside, but I want to have like an open mic night, an open mic night. I, some of you, some of you went, oh yes, and some of you went, oh no, and I get it. And, and what I want to ask uh, the people who want to get up and share, oh, thank you, Alton. Um, I want to ask, where has God ever shown up in your life and made a difference? Where has God ever shown up in your life and made a difference? And, and I think that a lot of times we get so into this idea that, that God put things in motion in the creation and that God told us everything we needed to know in the scriptures and that apart from those things, we sometimes don't expect him to show up outside of the creation and the Bible. And yet when I listen to the, the stories of our members and when I hear you talk about your lives and the difference God is making over and over again, what I hear is stories where people say, I prayed about this and I didn't think it could happen and it did happen. And I can tell you that it could not have happened unless God interrupted Let's God intervene and God change things. That God entered into my life, my world, my family and said, I will do what you're asking because you are my child. And it shouldn't surprise us because Jesus tells us over and over again that if we ask and seek and knock that the door will be opened and that, that our prayers will result in God answering them. And there's all kinds of complexities about how God answers some prayers and not others and, and so many other things. But I think it would be good for us to listen to one another for some time. And, and maybe if you're in life groups or something, ask this question in your life groups and find uh, opportunities to say, has God ever shown up and interrupted your life in a way that you did not expect? And when he did, what happened? And did you remember when he answered your prayers to say thank you, oh, yeah. to show gratitude? Yeah. Has it allowed you to have greater faith than when you step out and risk in the future based on what God has done for you in the past? And, and being able to begin thinking about these things. And it's not a new thing for us to be thinking about God showing up and interrupting. All through the Old Testament and into the time that Jesus was born and, and began to walk and talk and, and to enter into his ministry, there were so many expectations that God was going to show up and change things for Israel. That God was going to show up and when he did, when he would send his Messiah, the future king, the future son of David who would sit on the throne of Israel, that things were going to be different after Messiah came. That God would radically interrupt the status quo. That things that were bad would become good. Things that were wrong would be made right. There were many Jewish expectations about what would happen when Messiah showed up. They talked about the coming new age that the Messiah would usher in. They would say things like, when Messiah gets here, he'll explain everything. You even hear that, the echo of that in the Samaritan woman at the well when she's talking to Jesus about living water. And he says, listen, if you knew who I am, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. And they're having this conversation. And at some point she says, eh, eventually Messiah will come and he'll explain everything. This is a woman with all kinds of problems and baggage and difficulties in her life and the shame and everything that goes with it. And even she knows that when Messiah comes, he's going to explain all the stuff we don't understand. Even she knows when Messiah gets here, things will be different. They're going to be radically transformed. We'll understand where to worship and how to worship. And all these things that don't make sense now will make sense then. 
They would talk about the day of the Lord, when the day of the Lord would come and make things clear and it would bring salvation and it would bring judgment. They would talk about how a day is coming when God's judgment would sort everything out. And so many of those expectations were tied to the coming of this special Messiah, this Savior, this one who was greatly anticipated. You know, last week, in, in our two weeks of looking at the passages in Scripture where it says that the Spirit of God will be poured out on the land and poured out on His people, and today we're going to be looking at passages that talk about how the Holy Spirit is poured out on those who follow Jesus. As we look at all of these passages, what we see is that God is not interested in staying a long time ago and far, far away. That God through the Spirit is always interested in bringing renewal. That God is always interested in bringing life into the creation. And that He often does that through the pouring out of His Spirit. We looked at passages last week from Isaiah and Ezekiel and from Joel. And the passage from Joel is the one we ended with. And in Joel chapter 2, it talks about how... Uh, there's this massive plague of locusts that has struck God's people and it has destroyed so much and they're worried about what's going to happen. And the, the prophet Joel says, when the day of the Lord comes, when God begins to set everything right after this great season of suffering, here's what will happen when the day of the Lord comes. And Joel writes, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Yeah. Joel writes and he says that this day of the Lord is coming. And this is one of many Old Testament prophecies that are telling the people, continue to live with expectation. Yeah, things seem bad right now in the midst of, of suffering, but continue to live with expectation. And we often... We don't have this in the way that they did then, I think. And a lot of times we miss this. We often get this idea that we're living in expectation only for when we die or Jesus comes back. That, that yeah, I, I expect great things someday. I expect great things in the afterlife. But what about this life? And you see, the things that are foretold in these prophecies where the Spirit is poured out are not all of that life. In fact, the vast majority of them mean that we should have expectation that God's going to show up and make a difference in our life, in this time, in this place, and wherever God puts us. That's where we should have expectation. That on this day and in this place, I should have anticipation and expectation that God's going to do something. And I should be ready to go, go with God where God leads me. And so Joel writes, on this day of the Lord, the Spirit will be poured out on men and women, 
young men and older men. And, and the idea is on all people, the Spirit is going to be poured out and they're going to get renewed vision and they're going to get renewed mission and they're going to get excited about what God is doing in them and through them. And they're going to start doing and proclaiming and, and being involved with all that God wants done in the world. That all of this will happen and it will happen through all people. And this passage is where we pick up in Joel because when we get into Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up at Pentecost, Jesus, right before he left, the apostle says, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Spirit to you. And when you send the Spirit, you're going to be able to do incredible things. So just wait until the Spirit arrives. And so they're waiting with anticipation. And it's after Jesus has ascended sometime later, about 40 days, that they're at Pentecost. And when they're at Pentecost, the Spirit comes upon them in Acts chapter 2. And they stand up and they start preaching. And when Peter is explaining what it is that the audience in front of him is witnessing, listen to the text he chooses. In Acts 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. Prior to the part where I picked up, the people heard them speaking in many languages and tongues by the power of the Spirit. And when people heard that, they went, these people must be drunk. Um, Peter responds to that by saying, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Apparently, Peter's idea is like, you know, maybe if it was evening, but not at nine. That's crazy. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, these people are not drunk. They are living out the prophecy that Joel spoke of so many hundreds of years ago. And here is what it looks like. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This passage from Joel that talks about how the Spirit will be poured out on all people and all people will be given vision and mission and excitement and enthusiasm and they will see what God is up to and they will join in. Peter says, you guys have been reading Joel and praying, God, when will this day come when things get better? And Peter says, I need to tell you guys something about my sermon today and the fact that you think we're crazy. We're not crazy. We are living this prophecy in your very eyes. In front of your very eyes, we are living out what Joel said would happen in the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. In the last days, God says, this is going to happen. Peter says, we're in the last days. We're in the day of the Lord. We're in the messianic age to come. All the things you've been waiting for are happening right now and right here. And he has this section where he talks about uh, wonders in the heavens and blood and fire and, and billows of smoke and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood 
Um, you may notice, if you've seen the moon lately, um, that it is not made of blood. Uh, that's not a literal prophecy. This part of the prophecy uh, from Joel is what's called apocalyptic writing. Very common in Jewish uh, ancient writings. Apocalyptic writing uses really exaggerated pictures, often violent and, and almost horrific in nature. This is what happens at the end of Daniel and all through Revelation where there's uh, dragons and wars and rumors of wars and locusts and riders on, drag on horses. Uh, all of those images are meant to tell you that God is coming in judgment. That God is coming to judge that which is wrong. But Joel writes and Peter quotes, While judgment comes on all that is wrong and unjust in the world, Peter says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Spirit's coming to bring renewed vision. And when it shows up, there's going to be judgment on the parts of the earth that need to be judged. And there's going to be salvation brought on all of those parts of the world and creation that call on the name of Jesus. Is the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord a good thing? It is if you're on the right team. It is if you're on the right side. And Peter says everything we've been waiting for is happening today. And he continues to try and explain to the Israelites who are gathered there at Pentecost exactly what it is that's happening in that moment and on that day. And so in verse 29, he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the people heard this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter stands up and he says, I need to tell you something. You've been waiting for the heir of David to show up, and he showed up, and you killed him. You rejected his message, the truth of God. He came and he preached, and he lived it out, and you rejected him. You were waiting for one like David, but I'm telling you right now, Peter says, David died and is still in his grave, but this Jesus whom you crucified is still alive. God raised him from the dead. 
And now that Jesus is raised from the dead, the Spirit of God is poured out on Jesus, and He is now pouring it out on us, and that's why you're hearing us preach in all of the different languages that are in this place today. Because of the power of the Spirit poured out in us because of Jesus, who's not dead anymore, because He's alive and with God. Peter's saying, don't you know this is everything we've been waiting for? And they heard him. They heard him. And they respond. And they say, but what do we do? What do we do now that we know that this is true? How do we, what do we do? And Peter says, you've got to repent and be baptized. You have to become in Christ. And when you do that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You receive forgiveness of sins. But the Spirit that you're seeing poured out in Christ, poured out on us, proclaiming this to you will become yours. Promise is for all those who are nearby and all who are far off. I don't know if when Peter preached that sermon that he knew that those who were far off would include us in this room today. In fact, most of us he thought it wouldn't include. Because as much as Peter begins to understand that the gospel is now opening the possibility that the Holy Spirit can be poured out on all people, and he's proclaiming to them, anyone who believes and repents and is baptized can receive this Holy Spirit. And the people are so excited, 3,000 get baptized that day. They're so excited. And Peter's like, can you believe this? It's for everybody that the Holy Spirit can come and live in them. A funny thing is that Peter didn't actually understand that all people meant all people. Peter at this point thought that all people meant all of God's people, not them. All of the Israelites, not them. All the Jews, but not them. Peter had an us and them problem, and, and sometimes we run into this today too, where the people that Jesus thinks are his us is bigger than the people that we think is our us. When we, when we run into that problem, we need to hear what Peter learns when he goes to preach in the home of Cornelius. And, I, and we don't have time to do the whole story of Cornelius and Peter, uh, but the short version is this, that Peter, while in prayer in the afternoon, uh, goes and gets three visions that he understands are visions from God, where unclean animals are lowered down to him, and the vision tells him, uh, Peter, kill and eat unclean things. And the implication in this vision is, Peter, that which you think is unclean, I'm not going to tell you is unclean anymore. I want you to broaden what you think I can do and what I think is clean. And Peter says, no, I won't do that. I've never done that. So God gives him the vision again. And Peter says, uh, yes, Lord, no. And he gets the vision again. And Peter says, I'm not going to do that. That's not the kind of stuff I do. And he comes out of this vision that's been given to him. And there's these Gentiles outside of the house saying, we need Peter to come preach at Cornelius' house. Yeah. And so Peter goes to this place that he has, for all practical purposes, just told God three times in a vision, I'm not going there to do that thing. But out of obedience to God, he goes to that place. And when he gets to the place and he begins to preach... Uh, he's getting to the place that you would normally put an invitation where people might respond to the gospel. Uh, and Peter, before he has an opportunity to either not do that or do that, something happens, something that was not expected at all. While Peter was still speaking, 
to these Gentiles, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Peter's us is smaller than God's us in this story. And God wants to fix it, and the way that God fixes it is by pouring out his Holy Spirit into vessels that Peter thought were too dirty to hold it. And when all of a sudden the Spirit is poured out, not a trickle, but is poured out abundantly into Cornelius and his family and to all who hear, it says that those who were circumcised with Peter were astonished. And they were astonished because immediately before that happening, they were prejudiced. And when God was not as prejudiced as they were and poured his spirit into someone they didn't think that God would do that to, all of a sudden they realized We've got to get on board with God's vision and mission that's newer and bigger and way different than we thought it was going to be. Because now Peter really understood what Joel wrote about, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on men and women, young and old, on all people, was not limited to the people of Israel, that God's people included all people. And that we today need to continue in this tradition of Christians who are willing to say that we desire for the Spirit of God to be poured out on all people. And all people who hold the Spirit of God are part of our family. That this becomes the way that Peter understands this. When they receive the Spirit, he doesn't say, man, that is really neat. Gentiles have the Spirit. Go in peace. He says, if the Spirit is in them then they are in Christ. They need to be baptized because that's the way that it needs to be done. And then we're going to be in us from now on. God's changed how we think about this because of the pouring out of the Spirit in places they didn't think that the Spirit was going to be able to go. In Titus chapter 3, later, and this is much later, probably several decades later, Paul is writing to Titus, and he's given Titus instructions on how to be a minister of the gospel. And in Titus chapter 3, he tells Titus, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Read that again. Do a quick check on all your coffee room conversations and Facebook posts over the last week. Do an audit and make sure that you qualify. If not, this is your reminder as one who has been charged to remind you. See, what was prophesied in the Old Testament began 
in Acts with the Spirit coming on Peter and the others is now being lived out in the church. And Paul is telling a future minister how to continue seeing that it happens in the church. And that's the part we're living out even today. That we need to be reminded to be obedient, to be good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, always gentle toward everyone. Because at one time we too were foolish. You remember. We were disobedient deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to, you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. He writes to Titus, and he says, tell the church to be good, to be kind, to be good. Be good. He says, because you remember when you used to be human trash bags, right? When you used to just be awful. You were the worst. And then Jesus came and he saved you, not because of what you'd done, but because of God's mercy. Jesus came and he saved you. Now he pours out the Spirit in you. And he's pouring out the Spirit in you. And the Spirit that's poured out into us leads to this renewal this renewal that brings us uh, the ability to be heirs with Jesus Christ, heirs for the kingdom. We receive the kingdom of God because the Spirit is poured out on us and we receive the hope of our salvation. We have hope because of what is poured into us. And the last text that I want us to look at today is in Romans chapter 5. When Paul's writing again about what's to come and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in Christ, and it means... If you've been justified through faith, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's just pouring and pouring and pouring. And I love this image because it, it freezes in time this moment where the cup is being poured out. And it reminds us of how the Spirit is poured out. And this cup, because it is a static image, will never run dry. And it reminds us that the Spirit that God pours out in us will never run dry. God's not trying to give us a trickle. God doesn't want us to have enough. 
God wants to pour into us with such overwhelming abundance that it just overflows. When it comes to the Spirit of God, it's not, you know when you go to the water fountain and you push the button and you gotta, it's just barely coming out. And you just kind of got to lick it up and you're just going to go, I just caught 12 different diseases from this water fountain. And the grown-ups all leave and the kids are just getting the water. You know the water fountain I'm talking about. And you know the one that's got just enough water that you can kind of get in there, but, but you're uncomfortable and, and maybe your cheek touches it and you're going to go, okay, enough. And there's the water fountain that's just shooting water and you can just drink to fulfillment and the temperature's just right. That's not the Holy Spirit, guys. Holy Spirit is that time that you see the fire extinguisher, the fire hydrant on the side of the road, and it's broken, and the water is spraying out with violence, and you go get a drink. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit, guys. Because when we drink of the Holy Spirit that God's trying to pour out, you can't get enough. And it's God's purpose that it would be poured out on us with such abundance that it would not just satisfy, that it would cause us to say, what do I do with all this extra? And the answer is, I share it with someone else. That I'm so much overflowing with what's been been given to me and, and what I'm drinking that I have to give it to so many other people who I know are also thirsty. That the pouring out of the Spirit should result in not just me being satisfied, it should result in new mission and new vision. And that when Jesus comes, the Spirit is poured out on all of those who call on His name and who all of those who believe and are baptized. We receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. It dwells in us, but it doesn't just stay there in a boring status quo kind of way it pours out on us with such excess and such abundance that when Messiah comes, a new age begins, a new day starts. There's new vision, new mission, new hope. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, it's for men and women, for old and young, for Jew and Gentile, for everyone that the world says, we're not sure they're worthy. God says, oh, I'll pour into them. You just keep up with who I'm going to give this to. When the Spirit is poured out, we become heirs to the kingdom and have the hope of eternal life. When the Spirit is poured out, love flows into our hearts with such abundance that we have to start loving other people because if we don't, we're going to drown in all this Spirit. That I've got to share it with you because it's just flowing out of me because of how much God loves me. I can't help but share my love with you. And I love what Lee said today, that we're grateful for a building that's big enough to hold all of us in and maybe hold our love in. I hope it's not big enough to hold in us the love that God's pouring into us by the outpouring of His Spirit into our lives. If we open ourselves to the Spirit, there's going to be renewal of vision, renewal of mission, involvement of all. There's going to be excitement. There's going to be passion. We're going to become heirs. We're going to have hope. We're going to get involved with the kind of love God gives us. We're just going to pour it out on everybody else. And they say, what are you doing? We're just saying, I've just got to find somewhere to put all the extra love, all the extra spirit, all the extra blessing. Do you want to be saved and have some of this too? Because if you knew 
who it was that we worship, you would know that he offers you living water. And it will not run dry. If you've never drank from the water of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that's poured out into us, what Peter said by the power of the Spirit being poured into him 2,000 years ago remains true today. That if you repent and are baptized, that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, not by your goodness, but because of God's mercy, that the Spirit dwells in you. And you can spend the rest of your life drinking from the fire hydrant and sharing it with everyone else that comes in contact and says, I'm thirsty too. Today, if you're thirsty for the Spirit and for the gift of Jesus Christ, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.